You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow us, Bright City Church, on Instagram. Today's message is from Jess Conley. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. How y'all feeling? Merry Christmas. I love you guys. Hey, uh, if we haven't met, I am Jess, and it is a great joy of my life to be an owner here at Bright City. And um, what an owner means to us is that we own the mission of Bright City. That's all that it means. It's nothing weird. Um, it's not a club. It's just just means we take care of this church, and we feel like God's asked us to, to help other people see the light and be the light and shine the light of Jesus. So, before we hop in, I have a little um, like personal interaction. If you guys are down, little like call and answer. You ready? Wake us up. Yes. Okay. So here's what I want to hear first is I would like you to raise your hand if you have ever used the kind of Christian-y phrase like that was for me. Like you hear a sermon or you go to church or you listen to a podcast and you're like that was for me. Anybody? Yeah, me too. Um, okay, this time I don't want you to raise your hand, but like maybe a pointer finger, okay? Because we're not going to call ourselves out. But I would like you to, like, just a little one of these guys, if you've ever rolled your eyes at someone who has said, that was for me. Just me? Okay, well, I'm one in the same. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm one in the same. Like, I'm a, like, that was for me, girl. And also, sometimes, if somebody's like, there was a one last pack of bagels at Harris Teeter, that was for me. I'm like, maybe. Um, I don't know. Like, maybe, it's, maybe there were more in the back. Like, maybe you could have asked. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> so, I find myself living on both sides of this coin often. Um, But we're going to talk about that today, and we've been in this message series on waiting and essentially like what waiting does to us, and we're obviously specifically relating this to Jesus coming and and the people of God who are waiting for a Savior and those of us who are waiting for him to restore and renew all things when he comes back. And so we're talking about kind of like what waiting can produce in us. So first, I want to just go first and tell you this kind of like slightly vulnerable story. So um, the past few months, I would say, I have been in like a a pretty intense spiritual drought. And um, I've been thankful for rhythms and rhythms of going after God that keep me like, keep me awake and aware. So obviously I've still been coming to church um, and I've still been talking to God. And I've even like joked with people that it's a really good sign that if you're struggling with like doubt or your faith that you're like talking to God about that. So I I find myself like going to sleep and being like, are you real? Then I'm like, well, I'm talking to you. So I'm crazy or you're real one. I don't know, but I've just been in this kind of like drought. Anybody ever been there? It's been a minute. It's been a, it's been a hard few months. Yes. Thank you guys. It's been a hard few months. And I had, I had gotten up, this was just a, honestly a few weeks ago, I'd gotten up on a Saturday morning and I felt like there was like spiritually like a drop of water. It felt like this is a drop of water that like everything's going to be okay again. Like God's, God's showing me some things. He's talking to me and, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about really spiritual things in a really practical way. Cause I feel like that helps. So I just had one of those like times with God where I was like, that was for me. 
Thank you, I needed to hear that. And all that happened is he took me to this verse in Revelation 2 um, that essentially um, John is writing to the church at Ephesus on behalf of God, and he's saying, you've lost your first love. You need to go back and do the things you used to do. You've lost your first love. You need to go back and do the things you used to do. And so I I really kind of came across that verse by accident, started reading it, started journaling about it, And I had this sense that God was telling me to do something kind of weird about this verse. I felt like he was asking me, and those of you who like have experienced this, again, I'm I'm saying really spiritual things, but I'm trying to make them sound normal because this is our whole life. Um, But I had this sense that I was supposed to reach out to my friend Laura and say, God's taken me to this verse. Is he telling you anything about this for me? So just for context, my friend Laura is a woman who knows and loves God. She hears from God. She loves God's word. Um, but we don't live in the same city. We actually haven't lived in the same city for a long time. And we don't talk, but like once or twice a year. And we, we definitely don't see each other but once or twice a year. But I just had this like gut feeling like I'm supposed to reach out to Laura. So I actually just sent her a voice memo because it was really early that morning. And I was coming here to be a part of Bright City Running Club. And so I sent this voice memo to Laura and I said, hey, God's talking to me about Revelation 2-4 about I need to go back to my first love and I need to go back to the things that I used to do. I feel like I'm supposed to ask you if there's anything you want to share with me about that, about me. Um, I love you. I trust you. If I sound crazy, don't worry about it. Just ignore. (laughs) Um, And so I went on the run and I came back and I had a voice memo from her and it was crazy. It was just one of those crazy, like God was showing up moments. And um, it, it felt like we were like in the middle of a conversation we'd been having for days. Like it, we just picked up right there. And she was like, yeah, God gave me something to share with you. And she said, this might sound crazy. I was like, I'm the crazy. I'm the one who texted you at 6 a.m. Like, um, she was like, this might sound crazy, but God reminded me of this vase. And so a a little more context about Laura and I's relationship. Some of y'all have heard maybe Nick and I talk about this really rough season in our life where we lived in Columbia, South Carolina, and we were just really struggling emotionally and mentally and financially. And um, I was struggling with postpartum depression, and we were just... uh, financially really strapped, and we lived in this house that we called the Fishing Shack, and it had indoor-outdoor carpet and cement block walls. Some of y'all have heard us tell this story a million times. Um, It was just a really dark season, but in that, that was the season where I lived in the same city with Laura, and so Laura was like, you know, when you messaged me this morning, God immediately reminded me of something, and she said, there was this time that you were living in the Fishing Shack, and somebody that you didn't know felt like they were going to give you this vase. <laughs> so she was, like, I, she was like, I had to give you the vase. Like somebody was like, give this vase to Jess. And she was like, it was an ornate, hand-blown, light blue vase. And you got that gift and you said, this was for me. Like God did this for me. And she was like, it was such a big deal to you. And she was like, to be totally honest, I thought the vase was ugly. Um, and she said, to be honest, it like did not work in your house because you had indoor or outdoor carpet and like cement walls. Um, she was like, it was, it was totally out of place, but you were obsessed with it. And you just knew like God had shown up for you. He had done this thing for you. Um, and she said, it's because I love you that I tell you this and because you asked me. And she said, but you don't treat things like that anymore. And she was like, not just things. And she was like, but I see that missing from your life. That like, this was for me. 
And it, it, it's crazy. It's crazy how like a lot of us want God to move in our life, but we're like, maybe not through really specific conviction, you know? Um, but like that, because I was so desperate to hear from God, I didn't mind that it was like a hard word. And he had really been like prepping me. And that's why I asked her. I needed to hear it from a friend. And I was like, you're right. And, and honestly, like, I, I know that it could be that, like, we were struggling financially and it's not necessarily, that's not necessarily our, our particular hardship anymore. And maybe I don't appreciate things, but I knew it wasn't that. It was like, I've, I've lost that thing that says, like, this was for me. And so what we're going to talk about today is how waiting can produce beautiful, godly expectancy in us. And how we see that really in the story of Jesus' birth and the people surrounding it, but how also it can produce some other things in it. So what I want to talk about is we're going to read from some different parts of Luke 1. And some of these passages we've already talked about in the last few weeks. So some of them are going to be familiar. You may have read them before. Some of them may feel brand new. Um, But I want you to look for this thing. And specifically, we're looking at how Mary and Elizabeth interact with one another. And it's, it's helpful to note right now that we're looking at how two women interact with one another, but this is all of us. This is the condition of the human heart, um, and it can be the condition of the human heart. So if you're a man, don't like discount yourself from this because this is all of us. So we're going we're gonna to pop in right at Luke 1.18, but to give you some context, here's what's happened just before this. Um, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, has come to Zechariah, who is Elizabeth's husband and will be, Zechariah will be John the Baptist's dad. So the angel Gabriel has showed up to Zechariah while Zechariah is serving in the temple, and he has said, you, your wife, who was barren, we know her to be 88 years old. She is going to have a son. He is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Trust me. It's going to be great, essentially. That's my version of what Gabriel says to Zechariah. And so we're going to pick up right there, but I want you to look for this with me. I want you to look, as we read these passages, look at how the people respond in seeing God's specific goodness for them and how they see God's specific goodness for others and how they see God's specific goodness for all of us. So that's what we're going to look for as we dive in. So we're at verse 18. It says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. That's hurtful. Um, The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So I want to pause right here and some of y'all are going to think I'm being funny, but I'm not. And the women in the room know I'm not being funny. So what I want to tell you right here is that we see God's specific kindness to Elizabeth. Because this is a woman who's about to be pregnant at 88. And God is essentially causing a sin consequence for her husband. He is saying, like, you didn't trust me. There's going to be a consequence. And he could have picked any consequence in the world. But he specifically mutes Zechariah. And what I want you to know is that if you're pregnant at 28 or 18 or 88, what you need really is a husband who's not talking. I'm going to be honest with you because what Zechariah I think would say is like, wow, Liz, your ankles <laughs> didn't know like they could get like that. Or he might say like, are you sure this is like the baby way? Or like, have you been having too many things? 
Thanks, Elizabeth. Like there's a, you know what I'm saying? I'm not being funny. I, when I read this, I'm like, God, you love Elizabeth so much. <laughs> you could have done anything to Zechariah. And instead you were like, shh, shh, stop talking. Shh. Am I right, ladies? Is this a specific gift from God? Amen. I love my husband. I love when my husband talks until I'm pregnant. And then I'm like, no, no words. <laughs> Don't tell him. Um, meanwhile, the people who were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he'd stayed so long in the temple, when he came out, he could not speak to them. Hmm. Uh, they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. Pause here. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Are any of us surprised about this? No. This is also God's gift to her. But then she says, the Lord has done this for me. She said, in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So I want to pause right here and I want to say, I think that there is like a vicious lie roaming through Christian community right now that says, if you call out God's specific kindness and goodness to you, you are somehow being selfish. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Because the eternal truth that you and I stand in is that God loves his kids. He loves his kids and he wants to do good for them. And he wants to bless them. I think he actually wants better for us than we want for ourselves. And so to say, can I tell everybody, hold on one second, can I testify to what he's done for me is not selfish. It's magnifying his goodness, his greatness, and his love. And I'm going to tell you, what I think we need more of in 2022 is the people of God saying, God did this for me. He did this for me, whether it's the last bagel or a new job or having some kind of thing fall through that you thought you wanted. We have to be people. We get to be people who say, he did this for me, who look for his specific hands in our lives and speak it when we see it. This is not selfish. I would say, on the other hand, what is actually really selfish and really prideful is to pretend like we've crafted these great lives for ourselves, that we've created and made everything fall into alignment, rather than walking in and saying, like, none of this I could have done on my own. Let's keep talking. We're going to go a little further in Scripture to Luke 139, but I want to pause and, like, summarize what happens here. So what happens in between these verses, 25 and 39, is that Gabriel, the same angel, comes to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and tells her that she is going to have a child who will be the Savior of the world, the long-awaited one. And Mary says... May it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. But then we catch up with her in verse 39, and here's what happens. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. We know that Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is your is the child you will bear why am i so favored that the mother of my lord should come to me so what we hear elizabeth saying is like you're so blessed 
this is so good for you. But hold on, this is so good for me. This is so good for me too. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I love this line. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Is Elizabeth talking about herself or is Elizabeth talking about Mary? We don't know. She's just saying like, thank God for the women and men who trust that he's going to show up. We're all so blessed when we trust him. But there's more. And Mary said, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rule from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. Here's a side sermon. It's a side sermon. You're getting this one for free. So just put a pen in where we were and come over here with me. At Bright City, we teach something called the way of the bright, which is really just like our way of saying, like, how do we live like Jesus in the world? We do it through living out the way of the bright. And one of those tenets is our words. We use our words very carefully because our father was a life speaker. He spoke the world into being with his words and we're made in his image. So we have this option, this opportunity to be life speakers. This little section of scripture right here basically shows us that when an angel appears to Mary and speaks truth over her about what's gonna come. She says, okay, may it be to me. But when another human shows up and says, you're so blessed, this is gonna be so good, she starts preaching for verses on end. What I'm saying is when humans, broken humans, get in each other's faces and speak life to one another, the actual world changes. When we use our words to speak life over other people, when we be the people that say, I knew you could do it. I knew it was gonna be great. I was watching for how he was gonna show up for you. I'm on your team. God is mighty in you. When we show up and say like, I don't know how this is gonna work out, but you're blessed and he's on your side. He's working on your behalf. When we step into our God-given role as life speakers, it's more productive than angels coming to earth. It's right there in scripture. Gabriel comes to Mary, may it be to me. Elizabeth speaks life, she starts preaching. And what does she say when she starts preaching? We're going back to this sermon. What does she say? All generations will call me blessed. Again, is it selfish that Mary acknowledges the truth? No, she's right. We're still singing Christmas songs about her. 2,000 years later, she was so blessed. She carried the savior of the world, but also she goes on to say how this arrival of Jesus is also good for everybody else. It is good for me, Mary says, but it's also good for all of us. Her expectancy of God's goodness is personal and specific 
Similarly with Elizabeth, her expectancy of God's goodness to her, but also to the person in front of her and also to all of us corporately is just wild and beautiful. So here's like point number one. This message had points. Point number one, it does have points. This is point number one, is that waiting can, can produce personal and communal expectancy in us. The waiting here, I'm kind of skipping over. Their season of waiting, I'm skipping over. It's kind of implied, but let's just say it for, for old times' sake. The, the people of God had been waiting for 400 years. They had gone through a 400-year spiritual drought where there was no prophet. There was no word from God. There was no new scripture being written. They were just waiting for the Messiah. Corporately, collectively, communally, they're waiting. But can't you imagine that also personally, they are desperate to see God move. Mary is a pregnant virgin, probably 14 years old, I'm assuming she is desperate to see the personal hand of God. Elizabeth is an 88-year-old barren woman who has been faithful all her days and served her husband as he served the people of God. I'm assuming she's looking for some specific personal help from him. The waiting is there. Waiting can, it can produce personal and communal expectancy in us that is beautiful. But here's point number two. Waiting can also produce bad fruit in us. Waiting can also produce bad fruit in us. I was reading this passage this week, um, and I was actually getting to like preach at another church to some women, and I was going to preach from this same passage, a different message. Um, and I had honestly never looked at this piece of it, like this specific and communal expectancy. Um, but so when I kind of saw that in Scripture this week, I felt like God led me to kind of think through what this conversation could have looked like in 2021 if it was not just rooted in the expectancy of God's goodness, what could this conversation have looked like? And again, um, if you will, men of God, come with me outside of the confines of like how this could have looked just for women, because I think it's all of us. It's the condition of the human heart that we have this opportunity to be expectant in God or not. So here are some things that I noticed. Number one, I think either women could have said like, why her? I think Elizabeth could have said like, seriously? She's a virgin. I'm 88. I've been serving God a long time. Why her? Jealousy. I think Mary could have said the same thing. Why Elizabeth? Why does the, why does the cousin matter? Why, why are we talking about John? I'm, I'm pregnant with the Savior. Like, why? Why are we talking about this? I think either of them could have spoken dismissal over the entire situation. I think Elizabeth could have been like, Mary, it's not about you right now, okay? It's not about you. It's about me. I'm 88. I'm doing my time. My husband's not even talking. Maybe you should be quiet too. I think Mary could have been like, Elizabeth, it's not about you. It's shush. It's not about you. I'm pregnant with the Savior of the world. I think either of them could have massively spoken defeat over themselves or one another. I think either of them had a lot of room to say, you think this is good? Mary to Elizabeth, you think this is good? You think people are going to believe me? I'm not married I, I, that is very culturally unheard of at this time. 
My husband's gonna divorce me in a little bit. You think this is good? I think Elizabeth could have said, like, you think this is good? Let's do the math. Elizabeth, Elizabeth wasn't gonna see this baby come to fruition, like, maybe of the first few years. Let's look at it from a worldly perspective. From a kingdom perspective, Jesus is the king. From a kingdom perspective, he's the savior. From from a kingdom perspective, he's everything. John the Baptist, Jesus at one point says, he's my favorite person who's ever been born. He's my favorite person who's ever been born. But from a worldly perspective, they were both murdered. Mary and Elizabeth could have been like, you think this is good? You think this is gonna go good? You think the world's gonna like respond well to a revolutionary? I think either one of them could have chosen pride. I think either one of them could have said, like, this isn't like God's hand in my life. I have actually done well. I've done this. I was thinking about this. Whew, I don't know if this is going to get y'all, but this got me this week. I was thinking about it. I was like, how would someone respond in sin in 2021? And this is where I'd like to pull in men and women alike. I was thinking about CEOs. I was thinking about like famous influencers. I was thinking about people who are like very wealthy and have their life very tidy and how maybe the answer might have been like, well, if you get up at 5 a.m. and drink a gallon of water and listen to three self-improvement books a week and, you know, really track your time wisely and invest in the right thing, and if you work hard, good things will come to you too. That's why I was able to do this big thing for God. Instead of like, I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve any of, anything God does in my life. It's just his goodness and his kindness. I think they could have chosen pride and said like, of course it's me. I've worked hard. I've done the right things. I've showed up. I've been faithful. I think either one of them could have chosen distrust. I think Mary could have started a smear campaign and said that Elizabeth was faking it. I think Elizabeth could have been the first person to discount a virgin birth in Mary's life and therefore spoken defeat and fear and distrust and lies into the entire family and culture around them. And I think a lot of us do that when we see God moving in other people's lives. What'd they do to get that? Must be shady. I don't know. I don't know about I don't know about him. I don't know about her. I don't know about that. I think either one of them could have responded in deep shame. I think either one of them could have said like, "You don't know me." Here's what we know about Mary and Elizabeth for sure. They were both sinners. And I think either one of them could have said like, "I I actually like really don't deserve this. I can't do it." You don't you don't know what I've said. You don't know what I've done. I can't, I can't handle this. And I think either of them could have massively spent all of their time and energy focusing on the problems of this incredible blessing instead of speaking life over their own lives and over each other's circumstances and how it was going to communally be God's grace to everyone. So here's where I want to delineate between expectancy and expectation. And our pastor talks to us a lot about this, that there's a difference between expectancy. And for the sake of today, I'm going to like move from one side to the other. So if you want to, over here is expectancy. And expectancy says, I don't know how he's going to do it, but God is good and he's going to be good in this. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to work out. 
I don't know if it's gonna actually still feel really hard, but I will trust that he's good and he's big and he's kind and he loves me and he is working things out for my good. I will expect to see him. My favorite theologian, Charles Spurgeon, says, you don't always get what you want, you always get what you expect. And so expectancy walks into every day and into every space saying like, God's gone, he's gone before me. Whatever trial comes, whatever blessing comes, he's in it. He's good. He's kind. I expect to see much of him, and not only in my life, but in your life. I I can't wait to see how this works out for you. I can't wait to see how he surprised you. I can't wait to see how he shows up for you. And also, all of us, I can't wait to see how he grows us. But on this other hand, there's expectation. And expectation very often puts really specific ideals on how we think God is going to do something. And the big problem with expectation is he's just better than we know. And so when we start putting these human expectations on like, well, he needs to do this or it needs to look like A, B, and C or one, two, and three or in this time frame or in this situation, then not only do we sometimes miss the bigger expectancy of just trusting God, but also then when he doesn't do exactly what we wanted him to do, we are disappointed in him. When he never stopped being good, he never stopped being loving, he never stopped having a plan, and maybe even not giving us our exact plan of how we wanted it to go was his absolute best for us, but then we're disappointed. Or I think sometimes then forget even just putting specific expectations on God, we put intense expectations on humans. And we spend a lot of our emotional and our mental energy going into every situation saying either I expect them to be a mess, I expect her to be like this, I expect him to never grow, I expect it to be a wreck, I expect blah, 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 or like I expect them to meet my needs or I expect them to be on my team the exact way I want them to be or blah, blah. And then what? We're just totally let down. And so there's this really fine difference between expectancy and expectation, but In all of that, I'm thinking about this week and I'm thinking about like the difference between those two. And honestly, I felt Holy Spirit just convict my heart about even a third way that we can go. And I was telling some friends this week about this message and I said, you know, there are some messages that I just like, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this. Like sometimes you share a word with someone or you encourage someone that it's like in you. You're like, I live this out. It's in me. Um, And there are some words that you're like, I am deeply convicted about this thing I'm sharing to you. And that doesn't make me incapable of saying it because I'm I'm saying it more honest of like, I think there's a a different way for us to go and I'm in it with you. And and that's this message for me. And so kind of the third way is I was like, God, I, I do, I confess, I feel like I've lost some of my expectancy, but I actually don't think I'm super struggling with expectation. I think where I'm struggling with is this third way of like apathy, of if I'm being honest, there are some things that I've been waiting on God to do for the last few years. And, and some prayers I had three years ago and 10 years ago and 12 years ago. Um, and, and I'm just kind of burnt out on waiting on them. And it's not really that I've like put all these expectations on God. It's just that I've kind of stopped caring. And I think that apathy has led to that piece of me that says like, he's going to do this for me, or that was just for me, or that was just for them. It's just kind of died. It's just kind of like grown quiet. And so I, I think there's this other way of maybe like apathy or dismissal or defeat 
that also I, I think collectively a lot of us are probably struggling with. Like literally, let's just say it. I try not to ever talk about the pandemic because don't Lord knows we talk about it enough. But like even just the mechanics of the effects of the pandemic on our brains that like we thought it would be two weeks and then we thought it might be four months and then we thought like a year it's going to be over and like we're, we're still in this prolonged state of anxiety and fear and stress and like actual pain. And that does something to your brain. I think it does something to your spirit if you don't get with God and get with other believers and say like, hold on, this is, this is extra. This is a lot. So lastly, if, if point one is waiting can, can build godly, beautiful expectancy in our lives. Or number two, Waiting can grow bad fruit in our souls if we don't pay attention. Um, the third point is this, that being rooted in truth, I believe, will help us cultivate worshipful waiting. Being rooted in truth will help us cultivate worshipful waiting. A few weeks back when God started to kind of like shine a light on this apathy in my soul, again, I, I felt like I started hearing from him a lot more, but it was a lot of correction. <laughs> um, I felt like I just kept hearing a lot of this loving correction. And, and one of the things he was just showing me is, he was showing me like my mental refrain the past few months has been all fear, all defeat, all shame, all blame. Um, and I, it stopped being like truth and hope. And even to the point where like I've stopped, like I've stopped asking him for help with certain things. So if there's something I'm specifically worrying about, instead of saying like, God, I'm actually so worried about this, which is a beautiful thing to do. I've just thought about how I'm worried about it. Um, and so he was showing me like, start reciting truth. And so I got a handful of verses, and if you need to write down any of these references, I got a handful of verses that I feel like he's just given me. of like, remember these. Keep these as your cornerstone. Take this as like a daily vitamin to speak over your own life, to speak over the lives of the people that you impact every single day. Because let's pause right here. Like, I, 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 there's just so much compassion for those of us who are really struggling with defeat or fear or anxiety. But at the same time, brothers and sisters in Christ, we talked about this a little bit last week, we got to own the truth and the responsibility that the way that we speak around our brothers and sisters and our friends and family actually massively impacts them. And if we're constantly speaking defeat and doubt over ourselves, it is going to spill out onto them, whether we mean for it to or not. And so God's been showing me like, hey, specifically for you, you got to get this in check because it's good for your spirit, but you also got to get it in check for the people around you because you've been placed there on purpose to speak life and truth to them. So you got to get rooted in truth yourself to be that same voice for them. So here are a few of the verses um, that he's been taking me to. I'm gonna give you the reference and not the actual verse, but Jeremiah 31.3 is one, and he's been reminding me that I am the daughter of a father who made me with love and intention. I have a good father. Romans 8.22, he's been reminding me that I live under the effects of a fallen world, and that grieves him. And this helps me to say, like, the world is fallen actually helps me because it reminds me that this was not his best life for me. And me experiencing pain and trauma and stress and you experiencing pain and trauma and stress is not his best for you. And it deeply grieves him. But... 
There's more good news coming. John 14, 26, he's been reminding me that I don't have to do it alone, but I have Holy Spirit, I have a comforter, I have a helper, and I have brothers and sisters in Christ to keep going together. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, his power is made perfect in my weakness. He's been reminding me that my pain is never purposeless. He doesn't treat my pain cavalierly. He's not dismissive about it, but he absolutely uses it for my good and his glory. He uses my waiting. He uses my stress. He uses even my fear when submitted to him and given him authority to work over it. He uses it for redemption, for ministering to other people. He uses it as a place for me to experience his comfort, his power, and his healing. He will not waste a single tear. Hebrews 13, 4, he's been reminding me that this is not my home, but I have a city that I'm going to that's eternal. And that is such good news because it reminds me that this isn't it for me. As a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you are by grace through faith a believer in Jesus Christ, this is as bad as it's going to get for you. We are going to get to heaven and we are not going to have to process the pain of earth. Every tear will be wiped away. Every pain will be set right. This is as bad as it gets. The, the bad news is for those of us who are not in Christ Jesus, this is as good as it gets. Pain and stress and trauma is as good as it gets if we don't have eternity to look forward to. Romans 8.28 reminds me that God is working on the specific behalf of those who are in Christ Jesus. He is working for the good of those who love him. And I think that Romans 8.28 is a really hard passage for people to grab hold of. And I think that I, I understand that because it can be used in a really dismissive way when someone's walking through intense pain and you're like, don't worry, God's going to work it out for good. That's not it. That's not loving. That's not kind. But at the end of the day, we need a more emotionally mature conversation where we can hold space for people's pain and also still be rooted in truth that says, there's nothing else I can stand on. God absolutely will use this for your good. He just will. And, and for me, here's the other alternative. If Romans 8.28 isn't true, if I don't have a good and loving father who is going to use every ounce of pain for my good, then we are hurtling through space soup with no plan, with no one loving us, with no cells having any purpose, with like chaos ensuing all around us. That's the other option. God is either all good and all knowing and all loving and has a good plan or like, what? Nothing? Nothing matters? I, I, I always joke like, I feel like, I don't know, let's even go back to the bagel thing. Let's go back to the person who says like, the bagel was for me, that last pack of bagels was for me. I wanna roll my eyes at that sometimes, but I also, I also think all the time, like if I get to heaven and God's like, you are hilarious. You thought I was talking to you all the time. You thought I was doing stuff for you all the time. I think I'd rather live in that reality than get to heaven and him be like, I was constantly showing up for you. I was constantly on your team. I was constantly providing for you. I was constantly speaking for you. I was constantly putting people in your path to encourage you. And you thought it was like your good planning? You thought it was happenstance? 
I don't know. I think I think I just would rather like go 100% ham on this idea that God loves me and he's for me and he's working on my behalf for the rest of my life and like maybe be surprised later on, but I just don't think I will be. Lastly, he actually cares about the world. That's one cornerstone truth that he keeps reminding me of, John 3, 16. And man, what a good one to think about as we go into Christmas, uh, that sometimes I convince myself that I care more about the world than God does. And I'm like, are you paying attention? This is a wreck. Like, sometimes I'm like, you need to come fix it. And then I remember, for God so loved the world, not just those who loved him. For God so loved the world, not just those who seek him. For God so loved the world, not just those who proclaim him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, which is the actual whole reason for the season. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus. Here's what I want to close with. Um, I, I was praying about this and I, he was just showing me like, man, we're, we're talking about the specific expectancy in God and the ways that we see him show up for us and for one another and for ourselves communally. And I was just thinking like, man, one of the best ways that God shows up specifically for us is giving us space for our minds to be renewed, giving us space and time to pause and say, I haven't been looking for you, but I want to. I haven't, been, I haven't been expecting you to move, but I want to. I haven't been expecting you to move on behalf of others, but I, but I want to be that person in their life. I haven't been looking for you. I haven't been waiting for you. And I was thinking like, man, you know, Tyler's going to tell you guys in a second about how we're taking two Sabbath Sundays. It's what we do at the end of every year. We take a little time away. But I was like, how crazy would it be if we all sent each other out of here today saying like, I cannot wait to see how he moves on your behalf. I cannot wait to see what he speaks to you in the next two weeks. I cannot wait to see how he shows up for you. I can't wait to see what things he heals I can't wait to see what, what things he provides. And, and I'm not ignorant to say that no, none of us are gonna experience pain over the next two weeks, but I can't wait to see how he comforts us in that. I can't wait to come back and testify and tell you what he told me and how he showed up and how he shifted me and how he grew me. I can't wait to see how we collectively come back a little bit different, a little bit stronger, a little bit more joyful because he is growing us. He just is. I can't wait to see what he does in me and in you and in us. And all of this is made possible because Jesus was born. And all of this leaves us in breathless expectancy because he's coming back. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kindness and your goodness and your specific love and grace and generosity that sent Jesus for us. Holy Spirit, we just ask now even just for a little more specific help and we are so thankful that we get to even ask you for help to, to believe in you more. But would you just speak in the name of Jesus, we're just begging, would you just speak to us specifically and individually and personally? Would you help us to acknowledge and put down the defeat 
and the doubt and the shame and the pride that has kept us from seeing you move. Would you help us to put down and take off what has kept us from being people that say, this was for me. And would you use just these next two songs, this time of worship, would you use it to bolster us and send us out ready to celebrate Christmas like never before? Not because the world's great and not because we have everything we want, but because you are specifically moving on our behalf and because you are showing up specifically for other people in our life and because you are moving on behalf of us communally and collectively in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thanks for listening into Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.